Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good morning, everybody. So today we go international once again, this time all the way to Australia. I sit down with Barry, who is a fellow sailor, just got back from the Bahamas. He's got some pretty crazy stories and uh, lots of that's a good experience. Uh, sailing sort of took over his life a long time ago, and he has never looked back. And he actually gave me three of the books that he wrote, which I'm going to hopefully devour on the way up to Maine. And uh, thinking of that side of the planet, I do want to give a quick shout out to all those Kiwis working out at Sky, killing it, making uh, innovations, and... Uh, doing all the stuff, and somehow putting up with my two brothers. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. No, nah, just kidding. I, I've worked with both my brothers, and they're fantastic people. You know, so, uh, yeah, just a, a big shout-out to that side of the world. I've, I've traveled in both Australia and New Zealand, and I love them both, and the people are great. Always pretty much a good time to hang out with. And, uh, and it was just that way with sitting down here with Barry, so... Hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast. It was we we sat for so long. I got to break this up into two two parts. So I'm going to put one out now and uh, and then we'll see how she goes. But as far as the updates for Sparrow and the boat, I will say the bowsprit is back on, so we are back in action. And now I'm just waiting for a good weather window. But I've been doing updates um, pretty much every day, little little 10 15 minute chunks, and I will put that out as soon as uh, I know that I'm going to take off. So uh, I also figured out how to put the podcast out while, you know, uh, schedule episodes to be published. So hopefully while I'm out at sea, if all goes well, the podcast will keep running uh, two episodes a week and we'll we'll see how that goes. But today it's all about Barry and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy as I always say, if you want to support the podcast, just head over to Patreon and uh, look up Sailing to Oblivion. Sailing into Oblivion. Sound like Murphy there. Sailing to Oblivion. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can help support the show, keep it going. And uh, maybe this summer even, I think I should have enough to get some new mics and get the uh, audio quality even a little bit better. So... It has been pretty cool. Uh, I do want to shout out to the Patreon family because you guys have uh, really been killing it. And I'm uploading all these little videos about the work that's being done on on Mighty Sparrow. And those are just going to the Patrons because uh, you guys are part of the crew, essentially. So you got to know what's going on with the boat. Other than that, have a great day and enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This podcast is is mostly just... uh all about just having a conversation. You you can ask me whatever you okay. know. It's us just sort of going back and forth. And oh, we good. Go, I've had some great questions. You know? When were you really so scared? Right. Well, well, I guess um, you know. Let's let's just start off uh, with you. Just got back from the Bahamas. Yeah. How long were you down there for? I was down there for about three months. Oh, nice. Because they used to have longer visas, but now it's a three month visa or a twelve month visa. I'm thinking, I'm not staying for 12 months. I'm not paying for 12 months. I'll pay for yeah, three months. Yeah, you stay through the hurricane season and all that? Jeez. No, I go, well, I go down there, and I go down after Christmas, early in the new year, which is January, and basically it's, you know, the initial rush has slowed down. Yeah. And so I go down offshore, leave uh, Buford here, go offshore. Typically, I've been to either uh, uh, Fort Pierce, pull in there, and refuel. Which island is that on? Well, Fort Pierce is on the U.S., it's Florida Fort Pierce. Oh, oh, okay. Right I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. and uh, or I go down to what West Palm Beach, pull gotcha. in there, refuel the boat, do any work I need to do, buy some food if I have to, and then head across. And I go from say Key West, uh, West Palm Beach, across, and I go past what's called Memory Rock on the Abacos. Okay. Don't pull into uh, West End because it's you know single handing. It's hard to get in and out, and you know. So I go, th- I go through, go past Memory Rock. Go across the Great Sail, which is an island in the Abacos, yeah, deserted island, 
recover from the trip there, spend like a, maybe a day there sleeping. Just been, at anchor, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah it's, no, it's just anchors. There's just nothing there. Yeah, yeah. There's just mangroves and a deserted island. And nice. then I go from there around to uh, like the Green Turtle Key or Marsh Harbor or something like that to check in. Yeah. And is it just you on the boat? Typically, it's just me. Uh, this year, I had someone go with me. Oh, okay, nice. Um, didn't really need them, but it's good to have company because you, know, you do have to sleep at some point. Right. Oh, yeah. So, and you know that. Yeah, but going down. Because what is it? Is it 90 miles to get across? Well, it's from, uh, from West Palm to, say, Memory Rock, which is the first point of the bank. That's about 60 miles. Okay. And then from Memory Rock to Great Sail, it's another 60 plus miles. Gotcha. So you've got 120. That's basically a full 24 hours because some of it's in the current, over the current, et cetera. Yeah. I've yeah. done it faster than that. Well, yeah. what, what, uh, what sort of boat speeds are you normally getting? It depends. I mean, because you go in the Gulf Stream. Yeah. I mean, I will typically, if the bottom's clean, it'll run six to seven knots quite easily. Yeah. Yeah. With the wind off the beam, uh, it can theoretically get to nine knots. I've seen it do that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 50 foot long, uh, it's not a high-tech modern boat. It's still got some overhang, so your waterline length is less than 50. Yeah. I think it's 42 or something, 43 feet. And what, what type of boat is it? It's a Catalina Morgan 50. Beauty. Right. What year? Uh, uh, 2002. Oh, very now, nice. it's an interesting boat. It started out as a Morgan 50. It's got a wing keel. Um, so, okay, the boat. So, it's, uh, it was a Catalina Morgan, 50-foot <laughs> long. Third time you've had to right? say it. <laughs> um, five cabins, five heads. And then in 2001, 2002, Catalina decided to develop a boat for the chartering industry. Oh, and that's uh, perfect for Because it. they wanted to go up against the crude boats for the big Banatos and Junos, the 50-footers. Yeah, yeah. So, they brought this thing out and made one boat, I was told, and that was this boat. The and, one you have. And it was never fully finished. Oh. It was only, only for trade shows. So, for example, the drawers that go under the berths for storage are just fronts. There's no drawer behind it. There's no oh. slides. There's just a front. Yeah. A nice piece of teak, but there's no drawer behind it. Interesting. Right? That kind of thing. Um, it had minimal kind of services. It was basically going to go to the trade shows, and then move to the next trade show. Yeah. And work the East Coast trade shows. So, when it didn't sell... Because it's a Catalina, and the design is kind of a classical, modern boat. Lots of teak, lots of nice curves in the teak. Real good woodwork. Yeah. Beautiful, beautifully built in areas. Um, but up against the Benetos and Junos, it doesn't count because they're all ultra-modern. They're all slick with nice glass and chrome and marble and all that sort they're of new. stuff. They're new. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're so the plastic fantastics were taken in the market. So they never sold them, as far as I know, to the trading to the uh, charter companies. Yeah. So it was sold to a guy and his wife, and they took it down to the uh, Central American area, down way down south. Oh, okay. Nice. And when they got down there, uh, she was legally blind, so they turned around and came back to the States. They left the boat at uh, Tampa, St. Pete, St. Petersburg. Okay. Florida, and they went back to their home in, I think it was Knoxville. Right. And every, every other weekend, they'd drive down and sit on their boat, and that was it. And they were trying to sell it. And it went from one dealer to the next. No one could sell it. Who wants an older boat, older design boat? It's a boat designed from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a fast tech thingy. Um, but it is classic. I mean, it's a beautiful boat. It's, it's a, great lines. It's got great lines. It's yeah. got some really good features, right? And we'll get to those in a second why I bought it. But uh, nobody wanted it, right? So the price kept dropping. They changed the dealer. The price dropped. The price dropped. And finally, <laughs> yeah. I came along. And they had a summer special. And I'm looking at and I find this thing. I think it was on Yacht World. I'm thinking, you know, it's got sort of good bones. And it's cheap. Because my other alternative was an ML. Oh, okay, yeah. That was my, my first. And I'm looking at the prices of an ML and the price of this. And the ML was probably 200000 plus more expensive. Wow. And I'm thinking, you know, i got to pay property tax on that. i got to pay insurance on that. We better to do the cheaper one. Bring it up to where I want, and I'll have a much, not as good a boat, but a much cheaper boat. Yeah, more, yeah. More value, I thought. Well, making sure that you've got something within your budget, yeah. too, is, I mean, it's it's so easy to just be like, oh, yeah. well, I'll go with the bigger, no, more expensive can't. one, and, so, and, I, and I, you're I, ruined. I, I had a Beneteau 40, 
Manitou 40 foot before this. Oh, okay. So I, I sold that, bought this, but basically, well, actually on the same day. Was that one of the, like the first? It was a 1994 Benito Oceanus 400s. Oh, okay. Which yeah, is yeah. beautiful mahogany interior, really nicely finished, well built, but better than the new ones are. I think. Yeah, those they um, built them really stout uh, back in the day. The negative is that it had a steel keel, so you had to take care of the steel keel. Oh, really? Right. Steel keel. Uh, it's got the built-in structural grid, which if it's sound, is really good. If yeah. it's been weakened, it's a point of failure. Right? Oh, right, right. Um, the bolts into the keel are steel and they rust, that kind of stuff. That so I, that happened just real quick. Um, I, I went to a sailing school in Australia, and a few years before I got there, they, they had Beneteau first, I think it was like a 40.1 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They were sailing up from Sydney, 20 miles offshore. Keel, keel came fall, off. Keel fell off, yep. That boat sank so fast, three of the students went down, <gasps> and the others, I believe, swam into shore. With the instructor, they just swim like 15 miles in. It was crazy. Yeah. The old story, of course, is that the uh, 5200 will keep it together. <laughs> doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, I don't right. think so. So, yes, I had that. It was a good boat till I came back one time from the Bahamas, and I got hammered. And I realized that a boat that weighs 16,000 pounds in bigger, stronger seas has no forward momentum, so you get shook up. Yeah, oh yeah, you get pounded. And I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to live on board this thing and actually do some longer distances, get a boat that actually can do it. Right. So I bought this boat, it was 36,000 pounds with an all lead keel. Yeah. Draws 5.6, which is good for the Bahamas. Yeah. The mast tied is 65 feet, so you don't want to do the ICW. Right. Right. But I didn't want to do that anyway. I mean, I want to be offshore and picking up the miles, right? So I wasn't very high in the ICW. This was over 10 years ago. The big, nice features about it, uh, the front cabin, right up in the bow, which is the cruise quarters, mm. has a complete bulkhead between it and the rest of the boat. Oh, a watertight bulkhead? A watertight bulkhead. That's good. bulkhead up the front there. Nice. So I'm thinking, that's nice. And if I don't use this as a cruise cabin, I can put all my storage stuff in there. Yeah. So I've got storage in the bow. And if I run out of money, I can always put it back to a cabin and get a captain's license and go charter it. Right, right. Okay, this, is, this all works. So that made sense. Uh, it's 14 and a half feet wide, 14 foot 8 wide, so it's a beamy boat. Uh, uh, relatively fast. It had a motor with real, Yanmar with real low hours on it. And nice. it had like 800 hours when I bought it. How many horsepower? 100, the turbocharged Yanmar. Oh, wow, 100 okay. horsepower. Gotcha. It has 100 gallons of fuel. It had 400 gallons of water. Uh, I put in a water maker and got rid of half the water, so it took out 2,000 pounds of water, basically. Yeah, 400 gallons. But I guess if, you, if it's meant to have five, six people on it, yeah, you need to have it, that yeah. much. Yeah. So I put a water maker in, did that, put in extra batteries, uh, put in a bow thruster, put in air conditioning. You did all that work yourself? Oh, yeah. yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. How'd you learn how to do all that stuff? Just Well, I, I built my first, but I, my first boat I built when I was like 16 or 17, I guess. You built it. Yeah, it was keel a up. It's a kid, but it's small. It's a twelve foot racing boat. And it's a little racing sailboat. Oh, okay, like a laser or something. Yeah, bigger than that. A little little semi skiff. They were the next step before you got to the twelve foot skiffs in Australia. You know? Oh, I've seen them in Sydney so Harbour, man. This was the next. Eighteen. This, this is the next boat before that. Okay, okay. Right? And uh, so it was a great training boat for the high performance stuff. Yeah, and that was my dream was to get into the high performance stuff. And so I sailed these guys. Or I mean, I was a Gwen twelve. It was uh, two two crew, one hundred peas, uh, fully batten mainsail, spinnaker. Yeah, the word it, it screamed, you know. But uh, so I had planing. So <laughs> I, I went from the heron to that, and learned a lot of performance stuff and taking care of your boat. I ended up building three of them. Holy smokes! And that's all fiberglass and Fiber, well, build one, the frame one, one was and wood and plywood. It was all plywood. Yeah, and that was a good boat. Uh, I then I got my hands on a mold. For the hull. Oh, now it's time of, for fiberglass. For, the first one was going to be firm and fiberglass, and it just got to be too heavy. So yeah. that one had a very short life before I sold it. <laughs> the next one was uh, lightweight fiberglass with uh, waterproof foam glued to the inside of it for structure. Oh, okay. And then fiberglass, uh, not fiberglass, uh, plywood ribs yeah. holding it together. So it was a monocoque of, of plywood inside it. To give that structural, so it was a fully, fully, fully loaded, not no crew. 
Yeah. Sails, centerboard, rudder, the whole boat, all the lines on it, 12 foot long, weighed 140 pounds. Holy cow, that's crazy. So they, these things, when they go, they just take off. They're just like a rocket yeah. ship. Oh my God. So in high speed planning, you get to 25 knots, flat out planning, and they're, they're not like the 18s or the 16s. Right. But it's a good, good way up, right? So I got one of the, I had those, I sell those, and then I was in college, and I got the chance to uh, crew on a, on a set, uh, yacht, 32 foot uh, yacht in, in Sydney. Yeah. So that's where I got into big boats. Okay. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. Well, those, those little boats, they're fun, but boy, I tell you, it's a young man's game. Oh, yeah. You learn you reflexes. Holy yeah. cow. You reflexes gotta, are fast. You learn how to get things done. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to have some, you got to manhandle some serious loads, especially yeah. when you're throwing up asymmetricals and all oh, that. And you're just yeah. like, I've been on a 49er once or twice. And oh, yeah. Fast. Yes. Holy, my, my forearms are just burning you're just holding on to these sheets and you're going so fast so you got the adrenaline oh yeah we got, we had we had full body wetsuits oh i'll bet yeah you had to wear goggles sometimes the spray would hit you so hard because you're going so fast yeah 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 i mean you're just skimming you just bounce from wave to wave you gotta watch out for so, the ferries in the sydney oh, yeah. harbor man yeah. we mean, used to just cut right through and oh, yeah. there'd be buzzing around you're like oh, yeah. ah. quick reflexes i ran over a few boats i, I ran up ran, ran, went one time i went right over a laser oh really right over <laughs> Whoops. he says i'm gonna protest and i said go ahead i've just dropped out yeah right <laughs> i'm gonna just i know keep i'm going. in the wrong i couldn't steer the boat the boat is going so fast yeah. you cannot steer it when you go that fast your rudder just humps. Right, right, right. You really can't steer it. It's just going so fast. The, the wind is just carrying that boat. That, that rudder is doing almost nothing. Well, there's barely anything in the water at yeah. that point. I mean, yeah. it's lifted up. Have you, yeah. have you ever gotten a, a chance to do anything with foils? No. Nah. Neither have I. Nah. I've, I've Foil, seen it, but yeah. I've never done it. We had a development. We were, we were a semi-development class. We had enough rules where you had to follow some conditions. So we had some development in the class. Yeah. For example, we got into, we had rotating masts. Oh, like, okay, like yeah. In the early 70s. Right, right. Rotating masts. I was probably, uh, I was about 14, I saw my first rotating mast. That would be early 1970s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is yeah. that like, like late, uh, Hobie late, 16? Yeah. Yeah, they've got the, it pivots. You yeah. can't really control it, but it pivots on its we own. We were making them ourselves. Oh, you couldn't okay, buy yeah. this stuff. Right, right. And we'd make these things out of lightweight wood. And it, because they had to be absolutely stiff, there's no bend in these things. Yeah. You, but bends, it doesn't, it doesn't rotate. So you got absolutely stiff plane. Oh, you have overlapping right. diamonds the whole way up. So diamonds, 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 they all overlap. So the thing becomes, it's tensioned up. So now you've got tremendous compression coming down because the diamonds are tightening it up. Oh, the diamond shrouds. Like diamond shrouds. Are, yeah. And they overlap. So each section interacts, right? So it's solid 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 spa the whole way up. Yeah. With tremendous compression. So I, I, when I was building them, I had, uh, I was using a hollow piece of wood to keep the weight down and to run halyards in it, to uh -huh. get the windage down. And I would sheath it with fiberglass because the fiberglass had a greater breaking strength on the outside surface than the wood does. Oh, and, okay. And I was coming up to a start of a race one time and I pulled the main sheet in and just overloaded the thing and it, it exploded at the start. <laughs> People went over the line because the crack of that mask. Oh, yeah, right. They think it's a starting gun. It's a starting gun. And I'm sitting there, and there's slivers of wood all over the place. It just it totally exploded. Bits oh, of wood. Didn't just snap. It sent bits of wood all over the place. Right? We're oh, sitting there, and we're like, shit. <laughs> and it all comes. Well, that, that's the nice part. On small boats, usually when, when the mast breaks or dismasts, it's not kill you. it falls away from you, yeah. you know, because you're almost always on the high side. Just showered it down. There's yeah. Like splinters of wood and glass and bits of aluminum track and wires. Like, <laughs> just People a went mess. around us. <laughs> Somebody come get us. But, you know, I mean, you learn a lot about rigging. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, you build it so that the absolute, so it's got to be strong enough, but it can't be heavy. Yeah. Because you win the races by boat speed, and it all comes down to light and strong and efficient, right? I also had, I was the first boat there that had an adjustable rake mast. Oh, very cool. I yeah, invented yeah. that and built that. And the rake is important because when you go in the windward, you want the mast raked aft yep. for the center. When you go in the wind behind you, you actually want it raked forward. Boing. Because the wind is actually striking the water at a 15-degree angle. So if you rake the mast forward, you get better catchment of the wind. 
and right. your boat speed goes up, right? Yeah. So I had that. You know, we had all sorts of tricks. You know. Yeah, that's but, the way to learn. You, you so, just got to mess with stuff yeah, and toy the, with it. And get, I'd get in the garage, garage, and I'd make stuff and break stuff. And <laughs> that's it. Is it, there's a lot of trial yeah. and error. I must have built probably 12, 12 masts over my time in those small boats. Really, yeah. <laughs> aluminum, uh, aluminum and wood, or you know whatever it was. But yeah, so I went from that. Came ended up coming to the states. Ended up buying a bear hull. 28-foot bear hole down in Florida. Shipped it back to Kentucky. Built the inside of the boat. All the carpentry and everything. Oh, yeah, everything. Yeah. Holy I had, cow. Yeah. I had, I had them put the engine in place and put the two halves together. Oh, they had the keel into it. They put the keel inside the liner. Yeah. And set that. And they put the engine in place. Nothing else. Just put the engine. Everything else because was all you. And then you put the two together. Yeah. When you put the two together, then, then you can bolt it. And then I could work on it. I could ship it by, by truck. I took it back to Cincinnati, and I worked on it. And uh, about nine months, I finished the bear hull. Wow. Put it, put it in the wood. I sailed that for a long while. Yeah. Huh. That was sailed from about, what, oh, um, 1990 to 2000-something. Now, was that mostly in the Bahamas and no, on the East Coast? No, it was all in the lakes. And up, oh, on the lakes up there. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I trailed it down once to uh, the Hilton Head, sailed, took it up the ICW to Chesapeake, took it back again. The way back, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit work. I'm going to take early retirement. I'm going to live on board a boat. I'm going to travel Vagabond. I'm going to travel the world. Right? And I had enough time at work to pretty much do that. So I quit and... Sold the boat, bought the Beneteau. Yeah. Did the Beneteau thing, did three trips to Florida, down to the Bahamas, uh, in the Beneteau. And then I thought, I'm going to live on board this thing full time. I want to do more ocean miles, so bigger, heavier boat. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I realized, unlike you, that the bigger the boat, it's actually is not much harder to sail than a small boat. Yeah. It only gets difficult when you're coming into dock. When shit hits the fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You try to handle, you know, 700 square feet of Genoa by yeah. yourself. Yeah. We, we were inspecting that sail the other day. You can yeah. see. See how big it is, right? Yeah. Um, so you learn to be a little more cautious, cautious and careful. Um, things cost more. Yeah. Being able to wear. The That's price a goes up definitely a Definitely a fact, yeah. Price goes up a lot. But as a stable platform out in the ocean, it's a lot better. They're pretty, I, you know, I, I've, yeah. I've always found that once you get above, I don't know, I, I think right in that 30 foot to 40 foot to 50 foot range, all that, that's a pretty stout vessel. I, you know, obviously if you can go bigger and bigger, nice. I don't have a ton of experience on boats like that big, but I, you know, the I've price, never been uh, in really rough seas. The price gets so high though. Well, the price, yeah. I mean, and, it's a know, whole different yeah, the ball insurance, game. The, the taxes on it. I mean, just it gets out of control. So, you know, 50 foot's as big as you want to be while you're in the prime of life. Now I'm getting older. I'm thinking, you know, I need to sell that boat, buy a smaller boat, probably a 40-something. Yeah. I'd love to get a, a Southerly 42. I'm not familiar with those. Southerly made in England. Okay. Uh, Well-made, top of the line. Uh, made by the same group as Discovery Yachts now. Right, another English big boat builder. Oh, okay, high I'll quality, have to look these up. High yeah. quality boat builder. The nice thing about the Southerly is it's got a uh, retractable keel. Oh, so it, nice! It, it draws two foot nine. That's it, perfect for, for the Solent for, over for, in for, England. For, for an older guy like me, <laughs> get up the rivers. It's beachable. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's got twin twin rudders at the back end, right? So you can beach the thing. Right, I, in the ICW, there's a cruising area that opens way up with a shallow draft. Okay, yeah. Right? Out in, out in the ocean, the it's seven foot nine inches. Oh, nice! It's way down there, so your stability offshore is really good. And is that going to be on like a, a a wire and a block system, or Basically, is it hydraulic? I think it's. I'm not sure which one it is. Right, I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I know it's electrically operated with an option to use it mechanically if the electricity isn't there. Yeah. So, but something like that would be more to my use. What, what do you think about a catamaran? No. Good. Too, you're, too you're big. Too yeah. much windage. Yeah. <laughs> they don't feel the same when you sail them. I mean, I I enjoy. Being in the islands on a cat where you have a bunch of people yeah. and you're spending the vast majority of your time anchored around a mooring. Yeah. 
But when you want to go out and cruise and really have a great sail, there's nothing better than heeling over a bit and just through those waves. If there's a number of people on board. Yeah, it helps. Catamaran is a lot more space to move around. So much more. And you go to the deck space, you go to the cabin space. it's It's a lifestyle difference. Yeah, yeah. When you're by yourself and you're hammering out through there, I'd rather have a smaller, more controllable, less windage prone boat. I, I usually sort yeah. of thinking plan for getting into really crummy rough weather. Yeah. And for me, I've been on a cat. We took a cat from South Africa to the Caribbean, one of the first big long ocean crossings back in like 2004. Yeah. We saw some hairy weather coming out of Cape Town for like two days um, and we're bashing into it. I've never been more uncomfortable on a boat, I think, in my life, where yeah. it's just that it, that motion of upside, back, yeah, side, back. It, you felt like you were a cardboard box in the yeah. water. I mean, it's nice going downwind, cruising. You know, it surfs really easy. Nice, but Nice weather, calm seas. My brother used to build them. Okay, yeah, in yeah. In Australia. And uh, he was building, I think, a 35 or a 38-foot catamaran. He was using. He put him. He had a charter company going, so he built him for the charter company. And he oh yeah, you were talking. Him. Yeah, and uh, he tells you know they're they're great in lots of ways. You can usually outrun bad weather if you've got it set up. Right. You know if you're doing that, you know ten twelve knots, you'll be away from most of the weather fronts. You can get out of their way quickly, as opposed to six where it's going to take you twice as long to get away from it. Oh yeah, you just got to grin and bear it. He said they're great until you lift the hull out of the water. Right. And they're not good when certain wave patterns, your boat is actually talking. One hull is doing one thing, and the other one's sort of trying to, oops, trying to do something else. Right, right. You know? And it's bouncing all over, or they slap underneath. Yep. And it gets to be really That slap is really annoying to try and live with. Yeah. Oh, my God. So. Well, yeah. it didn't, it wasn't, uh, Australia was really some of the, you guys were like part of the big pioneers on pushing cats and stuff, cats right? Cats and trimorants, both. Because I remember when, when Nigel Tetley, who was in the uh, the first Golden Globe in 68 and 69, you know, he, he basically made it almost the entire way around the world. Oh. And that was a huge, huge boon to the catamaran and, and multi-hull yeah. industry because they were like, see, these things aren't going to just flip over. Look, this well, guy made it all the way around yeah, almost. I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, in Australia, a lot of boats get built by home-built amateur builders. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. The whole Bruce Roberts phenomenon thing. All right. I mean, designs them and, you know, they build them. Some get finished. Most of them don't get off the dining room table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, there's a lot of dreamers out there. That's what Bruce would say. I mean, my brother and Bruce were fairly close friends because my brother actually built one of the Bruce Roberts boats way, way back. Okay. And it was a 42-footer. And, yeah, Bruce, quite honestly, I sell dreams. It's true. Hey, so, uh, people dream about being making their boat, and the, the plans never get built. But they look over and pour over the plans. They love the idea. Hey, give me yeah. give me yeah. a couple of beers and a, a chart of the world, yeah, and I can. I'm a happy man. Yeah, that works wonders. That yeah. gets me in a lot of trouble though, because yeah. then I start thinking, okay, well, I think I'm going to do this now, yeah. and I <laughs> then then I start opening my wallet, and then it's just it's like, a nightmare yeah, after that. <laughs> But, you know, there are some good boats built out there that, you know, you can buy relatively cheaply. Yeah, oh, yeah, you yeah. yeah. You're not all about steel if they're made out of steel. Well, and if, yeah. if you've got the skills to be able to build and, yeah. and, and you know, finish off a boat. I mean, this boat was about two-thirds of the way complete yeah. when I bought it. But they originally were selling West Sales. You could buy a, a factory-finished boat or you could buy a kit. Yeah. So it gave you the hull and all the wooden pieces, and then you had to build it yourself. Yeah. So. I don't know if I would even be able to do that, to tell you the truth. Yeah, my 28-footer was, was sort of like a kit. I, get, I got a bare hull. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it was one of And the, do they give you all, all the interior stuff that you would need? If, if whatever you wanted, you could order it. Oh, okay, okay. He, he had all the molds. So they have all these different designs Yeah, that's one layout. of those things. It started live as an S2 design. Okay. Right? Uh, and the S2 had the center cockpit. Right? So they took this boat. They sliced an extra two feet into the mold, so they made it two feet longer. Yeah. It was eight foot four wide, so it's a legal trail, which for me was important being in the Midwest, right? Um, and a center cockpit, 28-foot center cockpit, and it slipped four people. Wow. 
You had two in the front, two in the back. You had a sit-down table. Oh, yeah, center cockpit. Yeah, yeah it gives you that aft cabin. You, you had a tiny, tiny galley, a tiny, tiny head. You had an engine underneath the uh, the cockpit floor. Yeah. It was all there. And I bought the, the shells. I had I had a liner put in it. Does that made sense? I mean, you get with a liner, you got all the difficult construction work. I had to go back and put all the bulkheads in, all the finish work, the wiring, the plumbing, everything else. Uh-huh. Install the windows, the hatches. I had to do all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all actually, bits and I, but the nice thing was I had a high quality finish on the outside of the mold. Oh, so you don't have to do the paint job and all I that sort of stuff. I don't have to do a paint stuff. job, but nice. I have to go and actually. I mean, building a fiberglass, but you've still got to go back and you've got to smooth that whole glass. Hmm. It's a beautiful services to make it worthwhile, right? Yeah. Well, steel, it always looked like this steel. Right, right, if, right. If you've got that fiberglass mold starting out with, you've already got the start of a good-looking boat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so amazing. How it I... made sense. You know, for me at that time, I didn't want to spend a lot of time building a boat. I wanted to have a boat. And then if I could do it without getting my wife annoyed at spending so much money, <laughs> was to yeah. do a, a sort of a home build job. So yeah. would you say that uh, sailing definitely has influenced your life in a huge, huge way? It sounds like it has. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you yeah. say it's like your biggest passion? Between that and riding, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, very cool, yeah, man. Living, living on a boat, riding, and doing other stuff is sort of that's about it's, it was a way to retire and you know keep your mind working and your body reasonably fit. Well, that's yeah. true because you, yeah. yeah, you're constantly having to problem solve, and yeah. then physically you have to go in. I mean, we're you know, geez, today I'm putting or I already put the bowsprit on. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm literally, I'm, I'm sore after it, the last few it, days it, of work. I mean, there's a certain amount of excitement that motivates you, right? I mean, I've never done a trip to the Bahamas and back without having some kind of incident, right? Yeah. Uh, this incident, this ship trip was to tear the Genoa completely in half. Yeah, right? And, I want to hear. So what, yeah, what exactly sort of went down on this? Okay, well, we had left St. Augustine. I had someone with me. Yeah. And we were going to go down to West Palm Beach. We left on the tail end of a front, a northeasterly front. Mm-hmm. We were beginning at the northeasterly winds and run the whole way down. And if we left the day after, by the time you got to Canaveral, it was going to be dead calm. Yeah, yeah, motoring. And it's a pain in the neck motoring around. and get way out around you know, Canaveral because of the shoals and stuff. And you know, then it's endless motoring down. So I wanted to get some wind. And I'm looking at the charts. I'm looking at the weather forecast. I'm thinking, you know, if I leave in the afternoon and I get down to uh, New Smyrna and I head out towards Canaveral, I will get it when the wind's about 10 to 12 knots, be around, the, around Canaveral, headed down to Key West, and I'll have wind almost the entire trip. But we're talking starts out at 18 as I leave St. Augustine, get down around there, it's at 12 knots around Canaveral, and we run all the way down, and we come in on the wind. So that was the plan. Yeah, well, the plan. Know, the plan. Interesting how that can change. <laughs> well, yeah, weather, weather changed a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, leaving, leaving uh, St. Augustine, I had one reef in the, <coughs> I had a reef in the mainsail. Okay. I had the full Genoa up to 140 Genoa. And the boat's handling it quite well. We're doing nice speed, we're making good time, headed down there. Uh, and at nighttime... I go to sleep in the cockpit because I'm always there. I'm yeah, right. yeah. Because, you know, you're in an area where there are lots of boats, ships, fishing boats going out. At that time in the year, there wasn't too much in January. But you know, you What are you, like 10, 15 miles offshore? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot yeah. of traffic. So, but wintertime, the fishermen usually aren't out there. You might get some shrimpers or something like that. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the amateur guys aren't out there. Most of the boats, sailboats and stuff, are all headed south. No one's going north, so they're going at the same sort of speed going south. So it's pretty much you can do it by yourself. You know? But, you know, getting older, I thought, you know, take someone with you. At least you can sleep at nighttime. Yeah. So we were doing that. I was asleep in the cockpit, and I wake up with this kind of bang sound. And I'm looking around, and my crewmate is at the Genoa winch trying to get a line on it or something like that. I can't really tell what he's doing. Um, the mainsail had jibed, so the wind had changed at some point, and the Genoa was busy doing a wine glass over the, fr- yeah. over, over, over the, over the furler. Yeah. So, you know, first thing you want to do is you want to get it unwind glass and back and get it reefed in or get it down, right? 
And we're in the process of doing that when it just gave way and ripped right across the middle. Just that that so, sound of just oh, just like <laughs> it's done. And, yeah. no. and you know, when a full rip like that, it's probably not going to get rebuilt. No, no. So right we there, were looking at it for the yeah. listeners. We were looking at it on the lawn yesterday, yeah. and it's pretty much in two pieces. It is two pieces. Yeah. yeah, I mean, could you rebuild it? Yeah, conceivably, but it's a twenty-year-old sail. Yeah, it's now. Yeah, be honest. I mean, when I come back from a trip, I take the sails off the boat. Yeah. And I get them repaired. There's repair work. I get them restitched where I need to. I clean them, stack them, put them away. And that preserves the sail. Absolutely, yeah. So that 20-year-old sail, I've had that boat since 2010, 2011. Uh, I don't know what its first eight years or nine years were like, but ever since, those sails have only ever had three months of use per year. And they've been put away clean and taken care of. Well, UV is one of the most destructive oh, oh, parts of it. Yeah. You know, when people just leave sails up on boats, I mean, they're they're essentially just a, it's ticking the clock over you, you, and over you think and the, over. You, you think the sunbrella will save it, and the sunbrella does a great job, but the sunbrella, the thread is running out on the sunbrella thread, and you know the whole thing no, is getting the, older. The easiest and best thing is you take, take the off. sail down, put it in a bag, and put it somewhere yeah. where it's and not going to be wet. Probably ease off the tension on your rigging too. Oh, relaxing the rig definitely helps. That will help sure. save your boat a little bit. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's all good stuff, right? So that gave Top away. tips from Barry. So, yeah. So then <laughs> we, uh, we had the Genoa down. We had actually the Genoa flogged its way down to, uh, down to West Palm Beach. Because the waves were enough during the nighttime. You didn't want to go up on the deck and start pulling down a sail. Oh, really? So no it was up for that long? Had to. You couldn't get it. I mean, it's, once it wraps around the... the you know, anybody oh, get it off, yeah, you have to get up there itself. and physically unwrap it. Right, right, right. And because, you know, the leech line was still in place, way up there, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't unwrap it. Yeah. Because they're both going separate directions, right? So it's kind of wrapped. Because And that binds down it so binds hard on, on that. It tangles down, right? It didn't so, damage the, the, the furler, did it? The track? Furl, the furler was brand spent. I just replaced the furler and all the rigging before I left. Oh, wow. I put an entire new uh, you know, uh, standing rigging and a new furler. Did the whole thing. Gotcha. Right? How, how many hours between when it happened to you guys pulling into port and being able to take it down? Ooh. 12, 15 hours. Oh, and that yeah. sails up there flogging. So flogging itself to death, right? Oh, no. I so I, I, knew, I knew at the time this is going to be a throwaway. So, you know, it's okay. 20 years of life, I'm happy. I can sell, I can sell the You got your money's worth out of it, let's say that. And uh, so I did. You know, I had the money's worth. And so, and I had a spare sale. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it without that spare sale. Oh, but, God, yeah. You got to have spares yeah. for sure. Even on a short trip. So, yeah, that was the biggest excitement. The previous year, no, 2019, which was two years earlier, that was the most exciting trip I've ever had down going to the south. Oh, really? What happened? Uh, okay, so we're in Great Sail in the Abacos. It's this remote island, which is your jumping off point to come back to the States from the Abaco. Okay. And I'm watching the weather. And What time know, of year would this be, like this April, is, May? This is June. Oh, June. Okay, I, I, wow. I got, I got delayed. Because I had a rudder problem. I had to get the boat hauled out and some work done back on the rudder housing. Gotcha. All right, so I had all that fixed, luckily. It would have where, been. where do you haul out in the Bahamas? Uh, there's a place in uh, next to Marsh Harbor on the other side of the island. Oh, okay. Uh, they could haul me out. They could haul out big catamarans. Uh, they got hit by the hurricane pretty hard, so I'm not sure they're still in business. Oh, what was that? What was that? Her Andre? Uh, Dorian. Oh, okay. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, you know, where uh, we leave Great Sail, we're doing great time across the bank. And uh, you get in the Gulf Stream, you're running 12 knots up the Gulf Stream. Boats doing, doing nine, actually, probably more than that 12 and a half, almost 13 knots, because we've got nine knots in the boat. Yeah. We've got three and a half to four knots of current. And are you headed here to Buford? Headed right back up here. Gotcha. We are fairly south still of the jumping off point to come into Port Royal. Okay, yeah. So at some point, you know, as the Gulf Stream veers off sort of northeast. Mm hmm. It pays yeah, you. It's sort of, you run it to the point where it starts to veer off, and then you jump to Port, in my case, Port Royal Entrance, right? So we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close. And a couple of things happened. The previous day, uh, the weather forecast was, you know, a chance of thunderstorms. Mm -hmm. And I can watch them on Sirius Weather on a radar, uh, and I see them building up in Florida on the coast. They move onto the offshore. 
time they get out to the Gulf Stream, the orange and red sections have turned green, and they're going to be you know, winds 15 to 20 knots and some rain. Yeah. Okay. And so you're thinking, oh, that's not too bad. Storms. And basically what you're doing is you're going along and you're negotiating between the lightning strike thunderstorms. Yeah, like squalls and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, so you right? skip around those things. You got way ahead with the serious satellite stuff. You know where it is. It's, it's a wow. Yeah, you can it's, dial it's that a, right in. It's a radar plot. Yeah, yeah. Directly down onto your screen, and uh, it does the entire U.S. and the offshore area. Dang, so very that's helpful. Nice. So the first day was great. Second day, same thing. Line of thunderstorms stretching from way down in Florida, way up to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, hot, hot country thunderstorms build up in the afternoons, head offshore. And the same thing happened when they get out to the Gulf Stream, they turn green. Yeah. But it's a great long stretch of these things. So we keep going. And a couple of hours later, uh, simultaneously, I look at the weather map. And my crewmate, friend, uh, looks behind the boat. <laughs> and... At the same time, she says, what's that? As I'm saying, what's going on here? What she sees is a cloud formation, not a thunderstorm. And it stretches the whole way across the horizon to our southwest, coming yeah. from behind us. Right. And as you look at it, there's two layers. The bottom layer is gray. Directly above it is a white layer that goes the whole way across the horizon. And at the one end... It kicks up like a Nike thing, like a symbol, like Nike, what do you call it? Flash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's what it looks like. There's no thunderstorm. And it's like, what in the hell? I've never seen that before. Right? I look at, I'm looking at the weather chart with the radar plot, and what had been green has coalesced into one massive red blob. Oh, dear. I estimated it about 50 miles deep and 80 miles across. Coming right up our southwest corner. In for an ass kicking now, aren't we? In for an ass kicking. <laughs> but you can't see how fast it's going. Right, right. So I'm thinking, hmm, this doesn't look good. And I've still got some time. So in that time, I've got time from the time we spotted. And it was still a long distance on the horizon. Yeah. Time we spotted to the time it hits. I have time enough to get a harness on, to hook on. To put two reefs in the mainsail. Nice. And to completely fill the genoa. Right? Yeah. And I send my crewmate down right as it comes downstairs. And I said, get downstairs, you're safer. Is when it comes, what you see is just a whiteout coming towards you. Yeah, just it's, a wall. It's a wall of white. Right. Coming at you. And I'm tracking it on my boat radar. And it's like, I've never seen anything move across the water like that. It's just flying across the water, coming straight at us. Mm-hmm. And you're watching it. You can see it moving across the chart plotter like Jeez. this. And I've got it scanned out like 24 miles. Straight at us. And we were basically dead center. We couldn't get away from it. Yeah. I take it over the back end of the boat. Right. I've already jibed the boat, so I'm going to run that way. Just run straight with it. I'm going yeah. to run not straight with it, but at an angle, so it's not going to jibe on me. Mm, okay, yeah. But, I, but I'm going away from where I want to go. Well, and you get to take the sting out of it a little I, bit. I'm gonna, have, but I'm gonna knock the, the boat speed will knock the wind speed down. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, you say you're already doing probably what twelve through the water, or through the water. nine through the water. Nine through the water plus current, right? Plus current, yeah. So it hits us, and the boat just goes go bump <laughs> and takes off, right? Yeah, I'll bet. And. Yeah, the uh, lightning and everything as well. No, it's mostly just, rain. just wind. Wind and rain. Okay. Wind and rain and spray was driven horizontal. You couldn't see. I couldn't see the bow of the boat most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Wow. Just horrendous condition. Um, and uh, seventy-eight knots. Seventy-eight knots. knots. Wow. Right. The boat is actually. I got it on autopilot. Yeah. Right. I took it off a few times to see if I could actually steer and run the boat. Off autopilot. Uh-huh. The autopilot does a far better job. It's oh, really? In, oh, yeah, it's instantaneous. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, it's mind-boggling. It's a brand-new autopilot computer system. It had a, the big, a big linear drive, so it was overpowered. I right. kept the engine running the entire time. So if I had to get 
into gear and maneuver some way. I had the power to do it, but you it could do it, yeah. I had constant battery power. Oh, to be able, right. to, yeah, because so that takes a lot of you lot start of load, getting, right? It takes a lot of load on the batteries. So the engine's running to back it up. It hits me. Boat takes off. The boat is doing eleven point two knots, not including the Gulf through stream. the water. Wow! Its maximum theoretical speed is nine. Yeah, knots. right. <laughs> so over that, it's not planing. Yeah, but it's the next best thing. Yeah, the waves were about five foot high. But they weren't wave waves. They were rollers. They were breakers like you see in the surf. Oh, I don't doubt it. Just yeah. break, it was, they weren't white caps. They were breakers coming at you. And I'm going with the breakers. So I'm taking them sort of over the stern end. Right? And now it gets interesting because I'm looking at my radar, my LAS, and I can see way off to my side, to my starboard side, is this uh, container ship, 1,100-foot container ship. Yeah. And he's already changed course to savannah he's still about 80 miles off yeah he's already changed and he's coming towards savannah and i've got a, a collision course now my oh hey, great this is lighting up so it's like holy hell so i go on the radio and i call him and i say this is imagine i need sea room <laughs> no you don't often hear a sea room call out there no no uh, not not but, anymore not these no. days but i called sea room on him yeah and it's like Okay, uh, I said, I don't have steerage. I can't steer this boat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't turn this boat out of where it's gone. The wind is pushing this boat to the point where I can't jive it. And if I try to change course, I'm going to be changing course towards you. Right, right. Hey. Hey, we're doing a podcast. I figure after I'm always interrupted, I would interrupt myself this time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey. <laughs> We'll be done in a while. Want to review the, those battery afterwards? Uh, I've I got to true that mass, but maybe we'll we'll sort it out. <laughs> Goofball, <laughs> good old packs. Anyway, anyway, so wait, wait, wait. So yeah, so there's this ship there, and I call, and he veers off. Yeah, this 1100 foot container ship goes. Well, off. for him, it's just sort of like click, click, click. All right, we're well, good. It is, yeah, it is a big change. It's a big course change. So now we're sort of running parallel. Yeah. Right? And then, wind is getting worse. You know, it's like horrendous. You know? And uh, there are two mayday calls. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they're like, panic, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us, mayday, mayday, and that's all. No position. You can't do a thing. No. You can't uh -huh. go looking for them. We don't have radio direction fighters. We're 10 miles out in between Savannah and Buford. Yeah, you give me a GPS position. We might be able to get to you, do something. Well, but that's where an EPIRB at least comes in handy because you blast that off. I figure there are probably, because this is June, they're probably amateur fishermen out there fishing. Oh, right, probably right, Probably right, in yeah. the Gulf Stream. Probably got the scare of their lives. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That'd scare the shit out of me. But about then, I think the captain of the container ship comes on and he asks me, how am I doing out there? Yeah. And I say, yeah, I've sort of got it under control. Um, but I need to stay on this course a while longer. And he says, if you want, I'll come around and cover you. Oh, Blocky. Wow. Nice. Isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? And, and hey, I wish I had the boat's, the boat's name because, I mean, that's just, that's, it. that's like something you're never going to forget. Yeah, yeah, he's right. He's going to take his container ship, come around and get between me and that wind because he's worried about me. And he would literally put you in a calm. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, living on a foot container ship. Yeah. If he was even a quarter, quarter of a mile off. Yeah, right. Would be a difference. Holy you smokes, know? that's so awesome. What what uh, was yeah. what what nationality was he? The captain? I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. I never kept the record of it. And it's like, he's just incredible. Anyway, so I said, no, we're okay. We kept going. She have just been like, she be right, mate. <laughs> so it went about a, half an hour after that, 15 minutes after that, uh, the wind eased a little bit. Yeah. And with my boat speed, the wind coming over the back end was about 50 knots, 40 knots. Okay, yeah. So I did a controlled jive in 40 knots. <sighs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. Well, I have a Dutchman brake system on the boom. Oh, with the. So yeah, you yeah. tighten it up mm -hmm. and then you oversteer the boat so it starts to come across. But because it can't jibe, jibe, it comes across and then you gradually ease it out so it comes all the way across. Okay. So yeah. a controlled jibe. And then I could change course, which I changed course, and then he resumed his course. I never actually physically saw the container ship. No way. Wow. It was that much of a whiteout. Yeah. It was white. You couldn't see him, you know. And, you know, it lasted about two hours. If I look at the, the plot on my chart plotter that recorded the track, yeah, you can see that the events happen. 
where all of a sudden I'm doing this, and there's this great big... Yeah, yeah, it's noticeable. I mean, it's mile after mile. There's like, you know, probably 20, 30 miles of this stuff where I'm way off course. Yeah. Before I resume again and just and we go out of it, you know? Well, and that's that's one of those situations that sort of you, you I've always thought you've got two options and both have pros and cons. One is you can do what I would normally do and what you did was was peel off and run with it, take the sting out of it. The only problem with that is you, you end up being in that system for a longer period of time. The other option would be to go like hove two. Yeah, grin and bear it and you're you're basically stopped and so you may get out of that system a little earlier but at the same time i don't know i've always felt like i want to at least be moving and doing something that's part of it i mean i, I went through choices i i don't carry a drogue on this boat i have i had at that time i had a jordan series drogue but it was uh, in storage here yeah yeah because you don't expect to use a drogue going to the bahamas uh no definitely no. not 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 your everyday average yeah. tool and this this is a big drogue so, I bet for that but, boat for yeah, sure. Someone gave it to me and well sold it. It's like too big for the boat. Yeah, yeah. So I I I, I didn't have a drug. Yeah, heaving two was a possibility, but you had to be able to keep it there. Yeah, does she yeah. stop dead in the water or well, she it, always it, keep moving? Even if she was making some leeway. Yeah. Um, the loads on that boat against those winds and that wave would have maybe overloaded even it. So you're not even sure you could put it in heave two. Right, right. So well, I, and, and usually if in those conditions, if you're going heave two, you, you're going to have to be using like your storm sails, like yeah. storm jib. And well, I've, I've got storm sail. I've got a storm jib, a storm trysail. Does your, does your main have a triple reef? Yep. I never put, I didn't have the time to put the triple reef in. Well, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, yeah. let alone try and set like a trysail. Oh, yeah. See, the triple, the, Crazy. the, the main sail has got a triple reef, but the, uh, the leech line on it. Hmm has a messenger line to pull it up. Otherwise, you've got, you know, a rope banging your sails around forever and ever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. extra weight off. So I use a little, I use a messenger line. And I have to put the two reefs in the mainsail before it hit me. I'm, I'm thinking, do I go up on deck and put in that messenger line and do a third reef? Right, right. So I was going through that thought process, and it's like, I don't have time. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be on that dock up in the deck when it hits because I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I left it with two reefs. Well, you probably weren't expecting 70 knots. No, no, no. I mean... I wouldn't have. You could see when it was getting closer, there was a lot of spray coming at you. Yeah, yeah. Because all you see is that white wall. You know it's spray and it's coming off the water. So that takes a lot of wind. Right, right. I never expected 78. Hell no. Yeah. And, that's know, very unusual. That, that's like a microburst. You ever heard of those? Oh, yeah. But, you know, microburst, it's down and out. Yeah. yeah. I've um, been through one of those and that was... Yeah. Very intense. There is a phenomenon way down in South America where these things build up in the heat of, the, of Brazil. Yeah. And then it races out into the ocean. Oh, uh, I think I've heard uh, about yeah, those. I can't, I can't remember the name of it, you know. But uh, It's something about thunderstorms are, are sort of your warning or something. Gosh, yeah. what book was it? Yeah, I, I have it mentioned in my book, too. Just, you know, but I think it was Chichester's book. He yeah. talks about it or something. Yeah. So, you know, anyway... Uh, Pampas, Pampa, something like that. Comes yeah, up, comes yeah. Up, comes with a Pampa. Pampa, oh, yeah. man. If yeah. I had the book. We'll get I'd, it, we'll get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll right. Finish, we'll, finish, we'll think of it. But at any rate, so, you know, fastest trip ever. Dude, I'll bet. Fastest oh, my God. That, yeah. Dude, yeah. It's pretty yeah. intense what the world out there can throw at you. Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing about, I mean. The, but that's once, that's like yeah. a once in a lifetime almost. But everything happens, everything is always something happening. 